Uh, several years ago, my, my aunt and uncle invited me on vacation with them. And so they brought me over to Florida, and it was one of my favorite trips. Um, and we had so much fun. It was for like four days. And on the third day, um, the, this, this particular, the hotel that we were at had this huge and beautiful lake. And so we went to the lake and they had kayaking. And I had never been kayaking before in my life. And I have always wanted to. So I was like, yes, I'm up for it. Let's do it. And so we get there. And uh, the lifeguard brings out the kayaks for all of us. And he starts just going over the instructions, going over some safety tips, some rules, and some guidelines, and, and ways for us to enjoy kayaking. And while the lifeguard is expl explaining some of this, I, I see a sign that says, beware of alligators. <laughs> and at that point, everything he's saying is not entering my ears at all. I have no idea what he said. I could not focus because in my mind, I was thinking, oh my goodness, there are alligators in this lake. And so he gets done, and my family starts kind of getting on the kayak. They're getting ready. In my mind, I'm just like, what? Kayak? Alligators? Absolutely not. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, so why do we allow kayaking if there are alligators like, in the lake? And he's like, we, we haven't seen any in the last five years. Um, so it's, it's okay, you know? Um, um, and you should be fine. And I'm like, should? But, you know, my family is, is far off on the lake, and I'm like, I got to go catch up. So I jump in, and I start paddling. As I'm going down, um, I'm like, okay, I got to get to them. And then the sign pops up in my head, beware of alligators. And if you know anything about kayaking, you have to, like, really, like, work your core to stay like straight. You have to be able to kind of sit in place, hold yourself up. And when I'm thinking about being eaten <laughs> by alligators, nothing about me feels strong. <laughs> so I start getting really scared and all of a sudden I start wobbling. And mind you, I'm not that far, but I'm far enough that I tip over and I flip out. But when my flip out is not, like, I'm not loud. I get very, like, my face looks like it's terrified, but I get quiet. And so I start frantically swimming back with my kayak. And in my mind, again, I'm thinking of all the Facebook videos, all the YouTube videos of alligators just grabbing their prey and then spinning. And I'm like, I'm not ready for this roller coaster. I'm not ready to die yet. I'm still young. I have so much of my life to live. And I reach the beach and I sit down and I see my family on the lake enjoying themselves. We're always living by the influence of something. We're always making choices based off whatever holds our focus in our lives. And that influence directly is connected to the destination and everything in between for our lives. When our focus is on something, if our focus is deeply held, if our focus is deeply influenced by something, whatever that is, you can tell where, we're going to, where you're going to go. You can tell what your destination is just by knowing what, are, what has your focus, what has all of your attention, what has your mind. And so 
For instance, I was heavily controlled by fear. Like, when I was on the lake, I couldn't even think about my family. I just thought about being eaten. I thought about everything, everything, every possible thing that could have happened, and I shrank away and I went back. If we're mastered by the worst parts of ourselves, we're always going to be empty. empty. We're always going to, to, to feel that emptiness. And I think 2020 has a funny way of showing us that we can't be alone with ourselves, yet we don't know how to come together. However, when our lives are marked by the Spirit of God, we live by a different ethic. If we can somehow learn to live by the influence of the Holy Spirit, we would lead the life that God intentioned for us, and we would discover the incredible capacity of the church. We've been going through the opening acts, the opening, the opening chapters of Acts, which traditionally has been named the, the, the Acts of the Apostles. But if you look at most of the stories, although the apostles appear in most of these stories, the one singular character, the one, the main character throughout all of this that unifies the book is the Holy Spirit. And so the book would more, would be accurately named the Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. And so here up into this point where we're going to read, and we're going to read Acts uh, chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, up until this point, uh, when Jesus raised from the dead, he, it says that he breathed on his disciples, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Which is interesting because uh, breathe in, in, in Hebrew is uh, ruach, which means, uh, it, it means wind, it also means this kind of energy. Um, for, if you will for a moment, would you just take a deep breath for me and hold it? You feel that there? That you're holding in? You can breathe out now. What that is, what that is, is, is vitality. It's the energy. And, and from the very beginning of creation, God breathed into creation. He breathed his essence. He breathed himself into it. And so we get into, we get into where Jesus is about to, he's about to ascend. And before he leaves, he breathes on his disciples. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit throughout, uh, uh, throughout the, the Old Testament is known as Ruach. And then if you look into uh, the Greek, it is just, the word is pneuma, again, which is breath. And so we start to see from the very beginning of the inception of the church that the Spirit of God was there. The Spirit of God had its fingerprint on it. And so we see that the church starts to move in ways that the people of that time never saw a community of people act and respond and be and embody. And so then we see boldness in, in John and Peter. We see people giving of themselves. We see people doing things that was so unexpected. And then so we finally get to Acts chapter 4, 32, 35. And if you would just turn with me, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, 
And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned the land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. See, the, Holy, the Spirit of God is elusive, and the Spirit moves in so many different ways, uh, in power, in stillness, in fire, in wind. You hear all of these ways that the Spirit is described. But this morning, we're going to take a look at the influence of the Spirit in two ways that he revealed himself, in two ways that he was moving through the church, through the early church. And the first one is when our lives are marked by the Holy Spirit, when our lives are influenced by the Holy Spirit, we become a people of deep unity. All the believers were in one heart and mind. And I think it's important for us to know that that doesn't mean that they all had the same ideas. They didn't have the same views on everything and every issue of life but they had a profound connection with one another, almost as if the deepest parts of themselves were connected. See, this deep unity wasn't based on personal feelings or superficial similarities. It was rooted in a movement, in a a cause greater than anything that they had ever witnessed that not only changed their lives, but changed the course of history itself. It was rooted in Jesus. The binding together of these believers was the message of the gospel. They were passionately unified by, its, by the belief itself. And the humanities, they were passionately unified by the belief that humanity's redemption depended solely on Jesus and through Jesus. See, their hearts were wrapped around the heart of God. And their mind was being shaped by the mind of God when it says that they were in one heart and spirit. One heart and one mind. They were going to see the kingdom of God and they were going to take part in being and in part in establishing the kingdom of God. See, the first century was both unifying its members while also expanding all at the same time. Which, doesn't this, this seem odd to us? How can you expand but also grow deeper in strength? Usually, it, you, you take one or the other. It's so difficult to accomplish both. But in this community, through the movement of the Holy Spirit, day by day, through empowerment of the, of the apostles, they were growing deeper. They were caring for each other more. But God was also empowering them to, to spread the message of Jesus, to spread his love. This was an extraordinary community. They were growing together with common purpose and a common vision. Each day, the church was growing in number, and as their church grew larger with more diversity, the Spirit of God was at work, binding them together. Their love, their hope, their passions were continually united. And everything that happened in the Acts was that everything that happens in Acts, outside of Acts, outside of this chapter, everything that happens past it, everything that happens uh, in, the, in, in the parts that are not written 
in the book, everything we see is the outpouring of what's happening here. It's the outpouring of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the hearts and minds. How he's transforming them from the inside out. And so Luke, throughout the Acts, throughout the book of Acts, describes all of these people coming to Christ. Now, if you follow the movement of the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of the New Testament, you will quickly realize that the Spirit of God is constantly moving believers towards oneness, moving believers towards unity, moving believers towards peace with one another. The Spirit of God is is creating the body of Christ, the church, and it's giving spiritual gifts for its health, for its benefit, for its growth. And here's why. The Spirit of God is so concerned that the church embodies deep unity because the Holy Spirit has made our hearts home. And collectively, we carry the essence of God. The Spirit of God is so concerned that the church embodies true, deep unity because the Holy Spirit, the creator of the universe, has made our hearts home. And collectively, when we are together, when we are one, we carry the essence of Jesus as he's the head. And it's our responsibility, responsibility, and it's our calling to carry that light for our sisters and our brothers, for one another, to carry that forgiveness, to carry that love, to carry that grace. Those are the essence of Jesus. And that should be shared with one another. When our lives are marked by the Holy Spirit, we become a people of, of deep unity and a people of unexpected generosity. It says, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. That there were no needy persons among them, but from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to those who needed it. See, what Luke is describing is what what started to happen in the first community, the first church. They naturally started to give. They naturally started caring for one another and investing in the movement of Jesus going forward. Those were their priorities. That was their mission. And some people outside of the church have said that, that this passage of, of them selling their things, and there are some thoughts, right? Like, why did they sell all of their stuff? Were they forced to? Was this a form of communism? Was this a, for, a, 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 a form of socialism? Uh, but in fact, this is a form of communalism. This word koinonia means fellowship. It means to, to, to it, it's this idea of, of Philadelphia, uh, this idea that of brotherly love, of familial love, is that you take care of one another. And so this, this communalism was this idea that you didn't have to give, you weren't forced to give, you weren't oppressed to give. But because you were of one essence, but because you took on the concern 
You took on your brother's concern. You took on your sister's concern. The Holy Spirit was moving. And so you just felt compelled. They felt compelled to give. They felt compelled to love. They felt compelled to to use what they had. See, the people who were giving, they they came from, from affluence. They came from position. They came from wealth. And they came from education. They also came from, from, some of them came from nothing, and they gave what they had. But it was a diverse group of people giving whatever they possibly could. And Jesus, through that giving, through their heart, Jesus redirected their wealth for God's value and purpose. See, when the Holy Spirit is moving in us, what moves God's heart moves our heart. What God wants to invest in, we invest in. What breaks God's heart breaks our heart. And so when we are living by the influence of the Holy Spirit, we, we invest. We redirect our resources. We redirect not only our finances, but our time, our energy, our, our, our attention. And that is all love. See, some were doing it with the wrong intentions. We have, we, there's a story afterwards, um, right after this, about Ananias and Sapphira, and they did it uh, with, with wrong intentions, and that's not what God had wanted. But there was also a gentleman named Barnabas who, who did it in such a way uh, that the Holy Spirit was moving in and through him. And that's something we're going to explore later on. Uh, we're going to explore next week. But the Holy Spirit wants to generate a spirit of generosity in you so that you will see your abundance as an opportunity to bless others, to help others, to empower others. The Holy Spirit wants to generate a spirit of generosity in you so that you will see your abundance as an opportunity to bless others, to help others, and to empower others. Money and materials become tools to serve God, to serve people, to serve our church. See, the giving was fueled by the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and that everything he said was true, that he, in fact, was truth. They knew what Jesus could offer the world. They knew that he could give new life, real freedom, and extravagant love. When our attention is fixed on Jesus, our love for people grows. We can't help but we can't help the fact that our love grows. When our uh, attention is fixed on Jesus, we can't help but love our neighbors. We can't help but love the people around us because we start to realize who is dwelling inside of us. We start to realize who are we choosing to follow, and that is the embodiment of love, or love is, the fact is that God, his essence, exudes love, and so when we start to follow Jesus, we start to see what he is all about, and that just gets contagious, and that just starts to influence our every decisions. See, love creates generosity. When we love, when we value something, We give of ourselves. 
Think about the relationships you have. Think about the most important relationships you have in your life right now. Aren't they the, the relationships you would give the most? The people you love in your life right now, the people who hold your heart, you would give everything for them. You would give anything for them. Love generates, love creates generosity. It's funny because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus gave his life in the act of undeserving and unexpected generosity. That the very act of giving was part of the restorative grace for humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave. God gives out of love. And Jesus demonstrated through his life what it looks like to serve and to give. See, when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples before he, 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 he was crucified, he said, I, your Lord, washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. When our lives are marked by the Holy Spirit, when our lives are influenced by the Holy Spirit, we become a people of deep unity, a people of unexpected generosity. As the worship team you know, starts to come on up, um, I had just tipped over in the lake. And I had made it back to the beach. I plopped myself on the sand, and I watched my fam- family kayak. And as I sat there, just thinking about how I just escaped with my life, even though I didn't see an alligator, I, I was there, and I felt defeated, and I was completely controlled and influenced by fear. But the lifeguard who gave us instructions sat beside me, and he said... You know, uh, we haven't seen an alligator in the f- last five years. Uh, and, and he encouraged me and he said, uh, you know, the view is more beautiful out there than it is here. And from that moment, just something just clicked. And I, f- I found the courage in myself to get into that kayak and go into the water because I decided in that moment, or in that moment, what was influencing was me was not fear. It was something else. What was influencing me was, was being with my family, was sharing a moment. And so this idea is, what is influencing your life? What is moving you in your decisions as an individual, but together as a community, as a church, as the people of God? I never regretted going out on the kayak and going in the water. In fact, kayaking is one of my favorite things to do in the entire world. And if had, had I let that moment, that influence, uh, control me, I would have never found something that I love to do. See, living your life influenced by the Holy Spirit unleashes your mind and your soul and your heart to the things you wouldn't otherwise be open to. Living in the influence of the Holy Spirit elevates you to a life beyond the seen and into the transparent. 
sorry, the transcendent. The Spirit of God through individuals and through the church creates deep unity and it generates unexpected generosity. See, the church living by the influence of the Holy Spirit is the way God heals the world. The church living by the influence of the Holy Spirit is the way God heals the world. And that is the way the church fulfills its mission. Because the church is so important. The church, within the church, there is so much power because we carry that essence of Jesus. This morning, I want to challenge you to live by the influence of God. And as you live by the influence of God, you will experience deep unity with one another. You will experience deep unity with God. You will come across and you will be the reason for unexpected generosity. And that is just the start of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you this morning. So as we, as we get up to worship, as we get up and, and sing or not sing and just meditate, would you open up your hands? Would you open up your hearts to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through you?